Margaret Heffernan is a chief executive and author. She was one of the producers of Out of the Doll's House, the prize-winning documentary series about the history of women in the 20th century. So what is it that holds women back? Well, I think it's hit and miss. I think there are times we go forward and times that we go back. There have been times that women have made great headway in the marketplace and in the workplace, and times when we've had real setbacks. I think the jury's out in terms of this particular recession, whether that will turn out to have been good for us or bad for us. But the thing I feel strongly is that no one should assume that the issues around women in the workplace are over. It remains the case that women are underpaid, they're underpromoted, they're underrecognized, they're trivialized, they're marginalized. And although that may be happening less, nobody should make the mistake of thinking that that stuff has stopped. It's still everywhere. Will positive discrimination legislation at a national and European level help women to gain greater parity at work on things like the gender pay gap and better representation in those boardrooms? Margaret again. Well, I think the legislation is essential. I think if we didn't have equal pay and equal opportunity legislation now, you know, we'd still be in the dark ages. I don't think it goes far enough. I think that, uh, you know, that there ought to be more legislation around women on public boards. I think the civil service needs to get its gender act together. I think that um, if you look at the way that women are still treated in the workplace around families, that remains an issue. I think we need to create legislation for men that means that men and women, since they're both parents and they both have parents, have access to exactly the same kinds of maternity, paternity, and parental leave. I think we have to stop making family a female issue and make family a parent issue. I think that, you know, in the end, all of us are going to be looking after our elderly parents, and even if you've chosen not to have kids, you can't choose not to have parents. And companies just have to get their head around the fact that people have families and have lives, and we don't have a civilized society that will support a marketplace if we don't have families. And the healthier and stronger families are, the better the business community will flourish. Margaret is one who believes the current recession might be an excellent thing to help companies and graduates and postgraduates think more carefully about what they want to achieve. It could just be a good purging of all the old to bring in the new. I don't think there's any such thing really as good times and bad times. You know, the times are what they are. Um, I think that, I think women are scared. I think young people are scared because it looks hard. But, you know, the dirty little secret is it always has been hard. It always will be hard. You know, to find exactly what it is you want to do and to find a great company in which to do it. Um, It's probably harder because there are fewer choices. And so I think the biggest risk is that young people will not experiment. They'll think if they get a job, they have to hang on to it come thick or thin. And in my experience, you know, it's pretty hard to make sure that your first job is the perfect one. So I think the big risk is that people are going to take jobs and then hang on to them, even if they're miserable. Alison Maitland is a journalist, a conference moderator and co-author of the book Why Women Mean Business. She's worked for the FT for 20 years. 
Here's her tips on how to get your CV noticed during the recession. Well, I think one of the things that we've been talking a lot about today, and I'm very pleased we have, is actually the opportunity that, that women have, not the challenges so much that women face, because obviously they do. I mean, women and men face uh, great challenges moving into the job market, if that's where they are at the moment. Um, but we've really been focusing on the opportunities to make change. Um, and that's both you know, personal opportunities, personal decisions. Uh, one of the interesting things that came out there was um, from a young woman who's at McKinsey. Um, she was talking about how uh, when she went into the jobs market, there, they, people were just crawling all over um, people of talent like, like herself. It was too easy. It was basically, she said it was too easy. She said that you may not like to hear this, but actually... Um, in this jobs market, when things are very much tighter, so much, so much, so difficult, really, um, it actually forces you to think about what you really, really want to do, what your values are, where you want to end up, rather than just going for the first thing that comes along, or the first beautiful offer, or the largest pay packet, or whatever. Yes, that really comes across. There's great optimism here, isn't it? If you're sending out as an MBA student your CV, you might think you might not get a job. Well, people here seem to be saying, use the recession, use the crisis, think carefully about what you want to do, be strategic, be targeted. Now, now you spent 20 years with the FT and you've written Why Women Do Business. Do you think that optimism can be taken forward into the job market? Um, yes, I, I do. I think that um, the, the, the women who are here today, uh, who, who are all immensely talented and immensely qualified, um, they are in many ways the future because the way that we see things changing, the demographic and economic changes that we've seen um, and that we document actually in our book, Why Women Mean Business, um, is, it really are, are absolutely phenomenal. I mean, women are now, for example, 60% of the of university graduates across the developed world, but also in other parts of the world. You wouldn't believe it, maybe, but in Iran, for example, or in the Gulf region. Um, so women are not only the majority of the, of the educated workforce today, they're also the majority of the marketplace. Um, women are making 80% of consumer spending decisions. And there's also now a whole body of evidence that actually having gender balance in your leadership, which is really what we're talking about. We're not talking about women ruling the world or taking over or, you know, throwing all the men out. We're talking about gender balance. Um, and there's lots of evidence now that having gender balance is actually good for the bottom line. It actually makes, you know, it's linked with greater profitability and greater efficiency for companies. I think companies are really waking up to that. And they're, they're very aware, certainly, of the talent argument. And so I think that the women who are here today um, and women who are studying at Judge can, can go out when they're looking for jobs and actually they should be asking the questions of future employers. They should be asking, um, you know, what's it like to work here? How many women do you have at the top of your organisation? How easy is it for women to get to the top? Because, you know, there are a lot of organisations where it's still very difficult and women should be, as much as they can be, should be choosing the places where they think they're going to get on and where they know that they're going to get on. Alison believes our current economic ills would have been tempered if there had been more women in the boardroom, like in Norway. And now Iceland and Spain are making progress on this too. Legislation can, I think, only go so far. Um, I don't think that it uh, necessarily changes culture. I think you need, you need other things to help change culture. Um, one of the greatest things that can help change culture is actually real leadership from the top. 
uh, a message from somebody who's a real charismatic leader. Could, could be a man or a woman, doesn't matter. Um, but somebody at the top of an organisation or in, in government or something like that. So, I mean, for example, we've seen um, in Spain an overnight transformation, actually, in the government. It's a, you know, we, we think of Spain as being a very sort of macho culture, and that's where it co- it's come from. But, um, you know... That... And it's now considering women in the boardroom, too, following on from exactly. Norway and Iceland. So, you know, it's leading to progress. Absolutely. So, in fact, there, there are now quite a few governments around um, around Europe that have gender parity in their in their you know amongst their ministerial um, uh, groups. So, in the cabinet, um, and Finland and Iceland, um, Spain, France. You know, I mean, so so, this, that, so those are big changes that have happened overnight through through leadership, through real leadership at the top, um, through just saying, well, you know, and this is silly nonsense, just having you know one one gender totally dominating things. So I think going back to legislation, I mean, it has been immensely important, equal rights legislation, equal pay legislation, sex discrimination legislation. These have all been immensely important in changing the landscape and in protecting, I think, the most vulnerable people particularly. You have to have that sort of safety net, that fallback position. But in terms of, you know, really innovative thinking and breakthrough, you need something else, and that is about leadership. And it's also about, you know, about every one of us pushing you know, pushing it ourselves. So. At a government and corporate level, Alison believes encouraging diversity is a good thing and that women in the workforce at all levels do make a difference. Individually, it's probably quite difficult if you're in the jobs market to make change yourself at this stage. But I think that um, in a much broader sense, this is a moment when, uh, when we're having a massive renewal, basically. You know, old bad practices... Um, bad things that are, that, are, that are being thrown out of, of the corporate world, bad practices being questioned, um, a whole, you know, questioning about regulation and governance and all those sort of things. And it is really important, I think, to seize this opportunity as a moment for, for, uh, for companies really to think about the way that they run work, the way that they think about career models, the way they think about work. Actually, it's a chance to I think in the longer term, I think the the most competitive companies, the ones that will probably come out of this recession stronger, will be those that really have understood where the the future, where the current and future talent lies, how to hold on to it, how to motivate it. Um, and and also how to how to redesign work. We've got all this technology now that enables us to work in a completely different way. Uh, and this is this is a moment to be talking about, thinking about all of those things, and to, and really to be creating uh, well to to be renewing. I think for for a better and more sustainable model of capitalism. And just finally, eighty five broads, an impressive network. It is, and I think that um, I think that women's networks that are sort of like that, that are across sectors, um, across countries, are incredibly useful um, if women use them well. Um, there's another one in Europe called the European Professional Women's Network, which is um, an amazing organisation. And people, if you use it well, you can um, you can find people for a job that you're wanting to fill. You can find a job yourself through it. You can uh, connect with people across continents uh, you can find uh, common communities of interest it is uh, it, it, the, these kind of networks are, are immensely useful I think personally they're more useful than internal 
company women's networks, which I don't think really sort of connects you with, you know, with that sort of broader world. But another thing I would say about networks, I think these women's networks are fantastic and very, very helpful and we need them. Um, but in terms, of, uh, in, in terms of corporate networks, I think one of the things that we haven't had and that's really been missing is a, a bridge between the sort of the, the, the male, the, the sort of the dominant male network and, and the female networks. And I think that that's beginning now to be broken down, but it's, it's up to us, all of us to make sure that we are actually talking and those networks actually do meet each other because otherwise the, the guys at the top are never going to understand how many fantastic, uh, able talented women there are out there who, who should be filling these, these jobs. The highlight of Judge Business School's Women in Leadership 85 Broads Conference to mark 800 years of Cambridge University was an after-dinner talk by global explorer Christina Dodwell, founder of the Dodwell Trust, entitled Challenge on the Wild Side. It was just that. When I went to my parents and said, OK, I'm off to see the world, I'm going off with a Land Rover, four of us, and we're going to travel through Africa for a year, my mother said, oh, how wonderful, tell me more. And I, it's like, if they felt that I could do it, um, I knew I could do it. If my mother had turned round and said, oh, my God, you can't possibly do that, you'll be killed, everything awful will happen, we'll be so worried, well, you can't do that... I would have felt that I wasn't capable of it. The fact that my parents had complete faith in my ability to show common sense and, and respect and stuff, um, it gave me the confidence to go out and do it. So what is it that makes exploring so essential to the development of your personality? Christina says it's all down to overcoming fear, adversity and failure. It's amazing how... Difficult it is to learn anything when, when things go well. You know, when um, everything goes according to plan and there aren't any challenges, I don't learn a thing. It's only when everything goes wrong, that things don't go to plan, then I start learning, which takes me back to the beginning, yes, where after crossing the Sahara Desert, um, the two lads uh, stole the Land Rover and vanished, leaving us with a heap of gear on the ground. In a way, it's a sort of shedding of things as you go because we got rid of the possessions we didn't need and we tried to travel onwards but unfortunately Nigeria at that point ran out of fuel um, the, the petrol stations were empty the depots were empty uh, so there were no vehicles on the road lateral thinking uh, we got two semi-wild horses and we set out to ride from Nigeria through into Cameroon. We didn't have um, saddles and bridles, so we used our sleeping bags um, rolled up on their backs as saddles and we made bridles out of string, but the reins broke if you pulled the string too hard. At first, it was, again, at first it was easy. The, the land was lush and there were plenty of villages where we could get, you know, buy food. But as we progressed, the land grew drier and became semi-desert. And then the build-up of the, the heat was oppressive. Uh, it was building up to the rainy season. And at night, there were these great electric storms in the sky. We slept in hammocks because we didn't have a tent, you see. But we did have two little hammocks that we hung in the scrubby thorn trees. And, and so that, you know, it must be so empowering that, that, you know, your parents allowed you to do it, your relationships, your friendship groups allowed you to do that. And, and then you just kept on exploring. You kept on wanting more. Of, it wasn't just travel. It, you wanted more adversity, it seems. 
blind face and ignorance. I'm not sure. I didn't. I don't believe in seeking challenge. You know, looking for trouble. Um, I, I, trouble comes easily enough. I, I sometimes. Uh, I have, my problem can be sometimes. I will assume things. And um, yes, after having done that first horse journey, and although it was grueling, uh, we came out the other side. So when we reached, we went on into Central African Republic and we got this, uh, we were stopped again by the weather. It was, um, the roads ahead were closed because of the mud, closed to traffic. Uh, you know, new challenge, how to, how to keep travelling. Horses not suitable. So we decided to travel by river and we got this dugout canoe and two paddles. And this time our preparations, our provisions were four loaves of bread, a jar of jam and some coffee. But I, I had at the back of my mind this idea that it was really quite normal. Now, um, uh, making the assumption that, you know, everybody can do this kind of thing or that they, they do it all the time, it somehow it doesn't, you know, it, it's, you just get on with planning and preparing. It was clear from the um, response of local fishermen and villagers who saw us paddling down the river that foreign women had never paddled the Congo before. And I said to Leslie, but why didn't you warn me that we were heading off into the, the unknown? And she said, I didn't think you'd listen. And for those MBA business students who may worry about that fear of rejection of that CV, Christina says that very rejection is what will shape your business career in the future. I can see how depressing and desperate it would be because, um, you know, one has to know that one has valued skills and, and even with that you can't get a job and that is such a, a depressing thing. However... By going through difficult things, once you've been through something that's difficult, frightening, painful, humiliating or just depressing, um, then for the rest of your life you actually have a strength and a confidence of coming, of knowing that you've been through that and you've been through it and come, you know, so that the next situation that comes along, you, you say to yourself, no, I've been through worse, it was more depressing when this happened or that happened, therefore I can cope with it this time. Right, so going out in a recession may not be bad for these judge MBA business students who were at the 85 Broads Conference tonight. It'll be it, bad it, at the time. Certainly it's bad at the time because it's, it's depressing and you're not feeling valued. But, um, uh, yes, it will end. Um, you know, it, can't, it doesn't go on forever. Um, it's like the nights of, you know, when a night is... is Helen, you're lost and stuck in the rain and, and uh, you feel that dawn will never come. But in the end, actually, dawn does come. In the end, um, the uh, lack of work, maybe it's a different kind of work. Maybe it's not quite what you wanted. Maybe you sidestep into something else just to um, give it a try and to keep your skills sharp. So that, But it's something that is a, a strength you carry forwards through the rest of your life, having been through a bad experience. That very same longevity and stamina and fear of failure is what has motivated and inspired and transformed Janet Hansen's career. Yes, that brass-neck gall I spoke of earlier. How could she think she could become a triathlete when she smoked so heavily or that she could stay on at Goldman's? When I was in the training programme... Uh, it's a six-month training program at Goldman Sachs, and um, they didn't think that I was ready for prime time. And so I had three bosses. There were three partners in charge, and um, they said, we're going to put you on probation. 
Um, and so I, I let that go on for about two weeks. Probation, by the way, is code for we're probably going to fire you. Um, and so one day I walked into the first partner's office and I said, um, uh, the other two partners think it's okay if, if you let me off probation. And so the partner said, well, if those two think it's okay, then I guess it's okay. And I went to the second partner and the third partner and said, the other two think it's okay. And to this day, they never, ever figured out how I actually got off probation or who actually said it was okay. But they all thought it was the other two. So that was... Uh, That was how I got to stay at Goldman. The Cambridge chapter launch of 85 Broads was a huge success. Participants, speakers and delegates did indeed define their own success. 